To you, O God, we lift up our prayers and ask that, having heard this text, we might hear it in a way that transforms our priorities, causes us to be the men and women, the boys and girls, the youth that you're calling us to be even in this moment. It won't be easy. We need each other. We need the larger community of faith even beyond us, even those parts of your family, O God, that to us feel like strangers or even enemies. So transform us. Let us see the world as you see the world. Let us begin, even as Jesus long ago taught us, by recognizing our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Be seated, please. Last Sunday, we announced that uh, Kathy Collier's beloved father, Roger Hunt, was gravely ill. Roger went home to be with the Lord uh, on Thursday, and yesterday uh, was his funeral service in Paducah, Kentucky. It was only my second time to be in Paducah. We had stopped the week before to, on our way home from Texas. We stopped to see Kathy and Phil and to be with Roger. Uh, what a beautiful part of the state. Uh, I didn't know. You've been hiding this from me for 20 years. But this is the first time I've ever been in that part of the country, and it's lovely. On our way home, we noticed that, as we did coming down, that you have to cross two major rivers, the Cumberland River and the Tennessee River, before you get into Paducah. Um, And that made us curious, me curious, about the Cumberland River. I was confused, because here we are in western Kentucky, but... I thought of the Cumberland River being in eastern Kentucky because that's the only part of Kentucky I'd really been in besides central Kentucky. I didn't know that it... The, it's, uh, the Cumberland River starts somewhere in the Appalachians, comes down, goes down into Tennessee through Nashville, and then back up to uh, Kentucky once again before it meets up somewhere with the Ohio River right there near Paducah. Here's where my problem uh, came in, and it, I, I, it's, it's embarrassing. But I've had this notion ever since I was a child, and even as an adult, I can't get it out of my brain, that Kentucky, being north of Tennessee, is up. And north being up means that water doesn't go up. Water goes down. Okay, I know this is really childish, but... Um, how could water, how could the Cumberland River come from Tennessee up into Kentucky? It's all a matter of point of view, isn't it? It's on how, all in how you see things. If you see life two-dimensionally and you think north is up, then water always goes down. The water always has to go down. But that's not reality. Reality is that north and south are just relative terms. East and west, they're just relative in the universe.
And so it is, I think, in, in the realm of God. One of the reasons we come into this space every week, one of the reasons we talk about having our minds and our hearts transformed is because our usual way of thinking of things, of seeing of things, of, of assuming this is the way life goes, can be innocently wrong. We just got it wrong somewhere as a child, and we just carried that truth forward. For example, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. Most of us were taught, well, take care of your things. Make sure you have what you have. They're yours. Take care of your possessions. That's a good thing. But what if it's deeply true that life ultimately is not really about you and what you have? That life isn't a contest. That at the end of life, we're not going to add up who's got the most stuff and that person wins. And so one day there was a man in the crowd listening to the teachings of Jesus, only he really wasn't interested in the teachings of Jesus. He interrupts Jesus and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now maybe the brother... Maybe the man had a point. The brother was maybe keeping more than he should. But that, for Jesus, was not the point at all. He said, hey, who made me the judge or the arbiter between your greed and your brother's greed? I came to abolish greed. I came to transform priorities such that the notion of greed, what's mine is mine and I'll keep it, can be transformed so that we might become a culture of contentment, of generosity, of gratitude, of discovering the truth that there's more than enough for everyone, that there is, in fact, abundance in this world. As Gandhi said on the cover of the order service, earth is set up not for everyone's greed, but enough for everyone's need. There's enough. There's an abundance. Jesus said, my call is to help see that the world doesn't consist of what you possess, that it's not a matter of the one who has the most stuff at the end of life wins, but to teach that the key to life is for the privileged privileged and the blessed to share that which we have. This feels personally like an important word because I'm a privileged person. I'm white. I'm male. I'm educated. And none of that happened because I'm necessarily a good person. It just was my lot in life. And I think the good news is That God wants to transform our privilege so that it can be a blessing for others. As God said to Abram long ago in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's how God works. God works through people. We've often said, God has all the money in the world. That's the good news. The bad news is it's in your checking account, and it's stuck there. Here's the invitation to let it go, 
to in your own way, in your own time, and in your own capacity to let it go. Jesus said this is key. This is key. Not because God wants life to be hard. Not to create some kind of spiritual obstacle course. But rather, Jesus is telling us generosity and abundance is the way that the world has been arranged. It's the rhythm and the natural cycle of life that there's enough. And this enough has to be shared for it to become good and efficacious. Jesus isn't trying to be harsh here. He's revealing what is profoundly true. Later, Paul would say, hey, be careful of greed. It's idolatry. It's like worshiping another god. When you want so that you can have and you can feel power, that's making another god. Be careful, said Paul. Be careful, said Jesus. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. I preached this on Friday night. I said to the congregation, I realize that most of you don't have much in your pocket besides lint and maybe a piece of gum. You don't have money. You don't have stuff. But the truth of the matter is we possess other things just besides money and stuff. We possess the capacity to allow another person to feel important, to feel noticed. We, we possess the capacity to, to forgive people who need to hear a word of forgiveness or perhaps a word of blessing from us. We have that capacity You have the capacity, will you hoard it or will you share it, to be generous with your your hospitality, not just in your home but in this church, not just in this church but as you go about your life, to make other people feel like they have a place, that they're noticed, that they are welcome, that they're loved, that they're valued as children of God. So the question is, do we give from our abundance Or do we hoard it and remain greedy as individuals, as institutions? What do we do with our privilege? This is a question we've got to face in the weeks and months ahead. And the good news is, when we find out, It will be joy, it will be blessing, and it will be part of God's healing work of love. There's an old Roman proverb that says money is like salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Think about it. Salt water, the more you drink, the thirstier you get. And that's true for most of the things that we hoard in life, whether it's money or power, or drugs, or music, or pleasure, or knowledge. It's like salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Jesus came into the world to say the opposite is true. That when we give, when we give, salt water becomes living water. It quenches our thirst. 
It helps you be who you most authentically are as a child of God. We were made not only to receive, but to give. And to live into our wholeness is to complete that cycle with all that we have and all that we are. I see it happening here at Highland. I see it happening in many beautiful ways. I saw it happen at the 930 service. When a man walked in who is not our usual uh, uh, sit-in-the-pew kind of person, but rather one who kind of gets up and walks around. He's mentally... uh, imbalanced, and he just kind of moves around. He came and stood really close to the chancel, but you knew him. The 930 service knew him. And you know what they did? They smiled at him and waved to him. And he waved back, bowed, and walked out the door. That's all he needed. He needed to be noticed. And they noticed. I'm seeing it with this Syrian refugee family that's being, uh, that we welcome tomorrow night at the airport. Can you imagine coming from several years in a refugee camp, all of a sudden dropped into Louisville, Kentucky, and here are a group of people who have gathered together the resources, the food, the furniture, the apartment, and the love, and they're offering it. What will God do with this? I saw it on Friday night. When people made homemade cookies and, and, and uh, uh, potato salad and barbecue, and we had 100 people on our lawn, people who haven't had a home-cooked meal in months and months, you could see it on their face. Real food. This is real food. Well, those who fed, they were exhausted and yet they were filled. They, they, they received much, much more than they ever gave. You've heard the story of the father who split his inheritance between his two beloved sons upon his death. One of the sons was married, had a house full of kids, wife, house full of kids. The other son was single. The brother who had all the children said to his wife and children, you know, it's not really fair that dad left half of the money to me and half to my brother because the truth of the matter is I've got you all as support. I shouldn't have all this money. I'm going to take some of my inheritance and give it to my brother who is single. Meanwhile, in the house across the valley, the single brother sat at home alone looking at his half of the inheritance and thinking to himself, It's really not fair that dad split inheritance down the middle between us because my brother on the other other hill has so many mouths to feed, so much that he's responsible for. I'm going to take some of my inheritance and share it with my brother. And I know you can see this coming. That by the light of the full moon in in the night, they... They started out, one from one home, one from the other, with a bag full of their inheritance to leave for their brother, only to meet each other in the valley, to realize what the other one was doing, to fall into each other's arms and get to give thanks and gratitude to the Father whose generosity was being lived out in their lives.
just as he always dreamed. This is God's dream for you and me. A generous spirit. With what we have, yes. But with who we are. Let us be the people of God. Now and always. Let's bow together and pray. Beautiful and generous God. May your generosity begat generosity in us. May it multiply. May Highland be one of those places where people look back someday and say, here was a place where the kingdom of God took root and bore much fruit. To your glory, God, and for the healing of the nations, we pray. Amen.